um, attempt by people to say they're doing something smarter or faster or better or less expensively rather than really trying to be truly innovative. And that's why I struggle with the idea of innovation is I don't necessarily think that something is really innovative as much as often it's just the evolution of something. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast sponsored by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with the mission to propel this great industry forward. My guest today is Michael Glatt. He is the vice chairman, North American head of project management at Macro, a Savills company. With over 40 years of industry experience, he has an extensive array of projects and accounts ranging from commercial, large-scale towers and campuses to various nonprofit assignments. Michael is able to manage the big picture in tandem with the details working with Fortune 500 companies. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks, Todd. Really appreciate it. Really excited to be here today. Awesome. Well, let's start with how you got into the construction industry to begin with. Sure. Uh, so going back over 40 years through junior high and high school, went to our family business, which was a millwork firm in Brooklyn, New York. I'm third generation in the industry. Nice. And uh, kind of fell in love with it a little bit, putting things together. I yeah. guess that reflects back to my uh, my ingenuity, I guess, as a child. I was very much into tinker toys and erector sets and things like that uh, growing up. So there was no surprise that I really took to the building side of it, became a union carpenter. And really from there, uh, branched down into many other areas just through some good fortune um, into the construction business with a friend from school, from, from college. And then we basically just branched out um, into other areas and eventually got into the project management and consulting side, really because I wanted to be there with the clients from a strategic standpoint, not just from an execution standpoint. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, want to pick your brain some on all, all that experience and really how, how you lead through disruption. You know, obviously this year has been uh, kind of a crazy year with, with a whole host of unexpected events and, you know, pretty heated public debate going on. What do you think is kind of the most important thing a leader can do during these times to, to lead well through uncertainty? You know, I, I think it's pretty obvious that leadership is needed more than ever. Mm -hmm. um, in itself, when there's uncertainty, I think it takes the normal stress level of a job and of life and just you know, exponentially makes it more difficult. So the first thing we provide is assurance to people, right? Leaders provide assurance. And even if that assurance is, I don't have the answers right now, I think that's important to provide that to people, um, mm -hmm. as well as um, being genuine. I think it's very important that people understand that we're all in this together, um, but that how we're gonna solve problems, great communication skills, I think helps a leader be successful, telling people what to expect when you know something. And also I think telling people when we will have answers. Um, and certainly the last go around now, this third wave or second wave, depending upon where you are in the United States is creating another level of anxiety and uncertainty, but with hopefully a vaccine here now, we're at least being able, we're in a position we're gonna be able to anticipate when we're gonna come out of this and how we're gonna deal with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that kind of struck me with what you said there is that there's a, a lot of power and, and really credibility and 
being upfront and honest enough to say, I don't know, but I'll get back with you. I'll find that out and get back with you on it. Because uh, I think that one of the worst things you can do is pretend like you know what you're talking about <laughs> when you don't. You're going to get found out. People are going to see straight through that. So I think the more you can be kind of upfront and, and honest with it, the, the better it's going to go for you in the long run. I couldn't agree more. And I think just focusing on the aspect of in-person versus Zoom, um, I, I think that Zoom gives leaders um, the opportunity to be in front of people more. Um, people don't expect you to be traveling to their office as much as you may have in the past or walking into their office if you work in the same location. But uh, we love crashing Zooms in our uh, leadership team. You know, just a surprise visit. And of course, we try to temper that in advance to make sure that, you know, someone on that call knows and has given us the okay that it's okay for us to drop in. Yeah. Making it fun as well. Um, giving back to people, giving them more time, giving them the flexibility. And I would also say um, that the humility a leader needs to show is to understand that there, there are some challenges here, emotional challenges and, and mental wellness is an important part of this. And we have to be there for our people, anticipate the signs and give them that room so that they can you know, take a breather every now and then. We hear about being zoomed out and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I think being human being genuine and communicating well, the three key aspects that a leader can really show their strength. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I like to say that you should get to know the person behind the employee and really know who they are outside of work. And I think that that helps uh, get to put them in their sweet spot in work, but it also makes it more relatable. So when they're having a tough time or they're going through something hard mentally, they're more willing to share and be open and vulnerable with you if they they really know that you you care about them more than just what they do in their day-to-day -day job interesting that you brought that up one of the sayings i heard recently by a very smart person in the business world was for a leader it's no longer enough just to show up showing up is not good enough anymore being a leader mm -hmm. And part of that is also showing that you're human when you're struggling and saying that when people say to you, how are you, how are you doing? Typical leader says, couldn't be better. Another day in the park, as well as to be honest, to say, wow, today was a tough day, how to make some tough decisions or really trying to figure out, you know, based upon whatever it is that's happening. And people see that side and then they feel that it's okay for them to also, mm -hmm. you know, have challenges, et cetera. So Showing your human side while also being very present are key attributes right now that we can all learn from. Yeah. It's kind of the, the difference between being a, a leader and a supervisor. Well said. Well said, Doc. Uh, when you're thinking through kind of the different expectations, is there a difference or, or should there be a difference between how you're thinking through a, a leader, an individual leader versus the, the company as a whole? Absolutely but it's not always easy. Um, most companies, um, including ours, we're changing, we're trying to adapt. Um, and in doing so, sometimes it's hard for individual leaders to keep pace with the company or to understand that things are, are changing so fast. So again, I would just stress the need for communications. And I think that um, we can't expect every leader in a company 
to be the same. We're not clones, we're human beings. So it's, it's a balance is what I would say between the two. I think that a great company is um, made up of diverse leaders in skills and backgrounds um, in what they bring to the table. If everyone's an A aggressive personality, it's probably not gonna make for a great leadership team, but you wanna balance one another. You shouldn't leave it up to the HR leader to be able to manage your people and to mm-hmm. get to know that person uh, behind the job role as you had said. Yeah. Uh, so let's kind of zero this in on the, the AC industry. So it seems that the industry to. as a whole is, <laughs> is kind of in a race for, for everything through, throughout the entire life cycle of the project. And there's stiff competition no matter where you are. Uh, what do you think the main driver of this uh, situation that we got going on is? Um, I'm not sure if there's one um, or if one stands out from the rest. I think there are a few. First of all, technology we know is taking over every aspect of the world, the economy, um, the stock market, we know that. And that's where the growth is uh, more than anywhere else. So technology in the AEC industry is a contest primarily because we're not on any unified platforms. You know, when I grew up, um, there was a a race between the Betamax um, tapes and the VHS videotapes. And um, we all know that VHS won out. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it was all other types of technology. And when it came to software, um, it was not only that the desktop technology, um, which was a PC technology at that time came out, but that Apple had to adapt its technology to speak to the desktop, um, if you remember PC technology. And even now between Android and iOS. And we don't have that compatibility in the AEC industry. They're standalone products. But as they become cloud-based and as they become um, on common platforms, and we know without getting into too much technical parts of this, that they do sometimes speak the same language, but they're disparate programs. So if you and I are going to build a company together in the AEC industry, we're builders, consultants, architects, engineers, Uh, technology, furniture vendors, whoever it is, we're not on a common platform. Everyone is working off of a different platform. Mm -hmm. And even if we're managing the tasks for the client, or in our case, for the project manager, as we are, we're still managing our own internal tasks separately from that. It's not seamless. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's silly. So we have to do better about that. I hope there is further consolidation in the industry. I know you and I have you know, discussed offline about Procore and other programs, and that's great, right? So I think we have a long way to go, but the reason that we're not where we need to be is primarily because there's too much um, that's being offered and clients are not on common platforms. Final point is that competitors in the same niches within the industry or within different disparate groups. It could be the contractor and the designer. We need to work together. BIM is just an excellent example. You're mentioning about Autodesk, et cetera, but clearly the integration of BIM on a common platform that we can um, design, plan, and then monitor the construction and do closeout all through one program, that in itself will be a big victory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think one of the uh, issues that has been 
plaguing the industry for a long time uh, is on the communication side. How do you get all the different stakeholders to actually talk to each other in a way that the other stakeholder can understand and, and have that buy-in? And as you're talking with all the disparate technology platforms out there, I think that that's a big problem that is causing this lack of communication, or at least it's not helping the communication that if we can get all the, the programs and the interoperability between them going, then that should slowly start to pull along that communication gap. Give you a perfect example about, I wouldn't say how easy it is, but how our expectations should be set to a very simple process. Mm-hmm. Um, I was asked by someone, did I want to order something, a new microphone to do podcasts, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which did happen, as you know, uh, so no problem. So I get a link and it says I can order it on, let's say, Amazon. Mm-hmm. So I go ahead and I order it on Amazon. You know, right after that, you don't only really get an order confirmation. It says track your package. Right. It allows you to track the package. That's real-time information, Todd. They're, all the systems are talking. They're integrated, right? Mm-hmm. So just think of that all the way to the point of it being delivered. If you want to know if it's missing. So I'm saying that was my point about delivery of an AEC project, at least from the point of commitment, when we know that we're going to construct the project and all the way through closeout, that should be our aspiration. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit ASTI.com and let them know we sent you. Yeah, this is a slight rabbit trail, but it's it's one of my uh, recent uh, questions that have been rattling around in my head uh, of late. With construction, they're generating so much data on a project and on the job site, but then it seems like nothing is done with that data. They, it, there's not that pause at the end for kind of self-reflection of the project of, of how did this actually go? You know, they might look at the bottom line financials, but that only tells a little bit of the story. How, what was it on the labor side or what was it on the scheduling side? Like how, how are you actually leveraging the data that you are creating? And right now I think construction as a whole and AEC more broadly is, is not doing a great job uh, at taking advantage of the data and using that to streamline the next project. I couldn't agree more. And why don't we use the, a real example, not of the, the uh, microphone tracking, but of lighting, um, lighting yep. on a project. It could be residential, commercial, et cetera. We all know that there is a value to all aspects of the supply chain of lighting. Um, certainly the lighting manufacturer and installer, right? Mm-hmm. The licensed electrician to install it, but all the way back to the people who design the lighting and then specify the lighting and then warehouse the lighting, the distributors, everyone along that, that chain, right? That supply chain, they all have value. Why, when you ask me, where is the lighting, which always seems to be a question on a job, no matter what, why is it just not where it really is? Why are there still in 2020 
four phone calls that have to be made and then to say, show me the piece of paper. Right. I'm just saying it's silly. Yeah. Well, because it's on a piece of paper somewhere <laughs> and not being tracked. So like, we can do better. In fact, I'm a little bit older than you. I'm leaving it to your generation. to <laughs> well, we'll pick up that mantle. This is, <laughs> I'm going to solve this data thing. It's driving me crazy the last couple of weeks of when I'm thinking through it. Like, why are we not taking advantage of this? This is, just seems so silly to me. Yes, I hear you. Uh, well, ideally, how do you think the industry should operate instead? Well, there are new technologies coming out. I think part of this is maybe we just need to know that we're on track mm -hmm. and when some of these technologies will be out more than the fact that they're already here. Um, you know, some of the technology, it really varies. Um, I know um, I'm very interested and passionate about a technology within prop tech, um, as example, um, not on the property management side, but on the AEC side. Mm -hmm. um, there's a technology, obviously, with drones going to the job site. Mm -hmm. um, you've heard about, you know, quartz camera technology that picks up whether the concrete um, has already reached the point that it can be inspected and whether any defects. Um, one of the technologies I'm passionate about in particular is from a company called Avere. And Avere, uh, working with the CEO, and in fact, I've sat and worked with them in, in an advisor capacity as well. Um, they have gone out to be able to work with the BIM technology and with drones, determine the accuracy of what is being built and as built drawings. And with that technology and with algorithms, they're able to take as built conditions and download them and compare as built actually to what was designed and create a report for that. So that's pretty advanced. Yeah. <laughs> and I, although I can't um, divulge the names of their clients, but I could tell you they rank within the top 10 tech companies in the world who are building out their projects and using technology like this to um, plan and audit their projects. Well, that in itself is a great sign that you can bring all of this together. Yeah, for sure. So there's, there's so much competition happening in the AEC space. So what should technology's role in AECB to really kind of help push people more to that kind of innovative uh, technology process, like what you were explaining about with all the, the drones and um, everything like that. And instead of just getting trapped in the same status quo that they are in right now. I think there is a foolish attempt by people to say they're doing something smarter or faster or better or less expensively rather than really trying to be truly innovative. And that's why I struggle with the idea of innovation is I don't necessarily think that something is really innovative as much as often it's just the evolution of something. When you get a new app on your phone, and let's say mm -hmm. I use iPhones as technology, my technology base, when I get a new download of iOS, I don't say, wow, that's innovative, but it does a lot more and a lot differently than what I had six months ago was my point. Right. And I think the key here is a lack of collaboration, Todd, that when you work in Europe, competitors sit together regularly to build these platforms and to help advance how they deliver their services. And mm -hmm. here we're siloed in the United States mostly because we look at that, uh, that difference, what we know that others, we don't wanna share that information. 
right? So that's our unique um, knowledge, our unique um, advantage by being able to do something differently. And one of the examples I would give to you in the AEC industry is that if you took all of the software platforms, each one, which is different from another, and you created benchmarks for what standards these software platforms would need to be, I think we'd be in a much better position for everyone to work together to meet those standards. But that takes away from the competitive advantage. So there's really no incentive for people to share that information. Instead, it becomes copycat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. I think that there's maybe another component to that as well, that the the contracts here in the States are, are built in a way that really disincentivizes collaboration. And instead it's, uh, they, they write the contracts in a, with a, the expectation that somebody's going to do something wrong or somebody's going to sue somebody else. And so there's so much language in there of protecting themselves that it doesn't really allow an environment for collaboration to, to foster. Everybody gives lip service that they want to collaborate more, but if the, the structure of the, the agreement is already kind of baseline assumption that somebody's going to screw something up, <laughs> it, it puts a really big hindrance on, on being able to honestly and authentically collaborate with each other. You are so right. Um, and you should come to my side of the table for some discussions about that. But indeed, um, service, the service part is the most important part of a project. Mm -hmm. And yet many times what's sought after is to lower that margin. And interesting, are you really asking for less service? Are you asking people to do work in less time than the people that you educate tell you? One of the scariest things is that when uh, many times on projects, um, companies go out because they know they need expertise that they don't have. Mm -hmm. And where I mentioned before that you are so right, Todd, is that they go out and then they bring those people to the table and they often tell those people at the table how to do their jobs. Right. <laughs> and, and, and typically the people around the consultants are around to say, but didn't they just tell us they needed us to tell us how to do this? <laughs> <laughs> Makes a lot of sense, right? <laughs> so a contract, just as an example, an agreement in my mind should always have expectations and clear expectations, and they certainly can have penalties and rewards, but it should be able to create the opportunity for the people to excel and to be innovative, to your point. But instead, we're held to very specific constraints as to how we need to perform within contracts. But that has a lot to do with, unfortunately, um, the mindset, and it's a very litigious world. And that's the way things are structured. And we certainly can change that, but it hasn't changed in my lifetime. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not naive enough to think that everybody's going to be, if you change that structure, that everybody's going to be sitting around singing Kumbaya, holding hands during a, a meeting or the project and everything. But I think it would help in kind of just letting people lower their, their guns a little bit. By the way, two magic ingredients. You heard it from here today to make that happen time and money. And I, without mentioning the name, know of one client who for the 15 years or so doing business with them, projects that they're doing are in the hundreds of millions of dollars each time, very large entity. Mm -hmm. They are always complete with their project two months ahead of schedule. Each wow. time, two months ahead of schedule and under budget. So wow. I'm just saying they have the money to risk to make a mistake. They are very well 
Well, um, their endowment, put it this way, um, their endowment yeah. is very large. They have the ability to make mistakes. They know how they want things. They allow innovation and they build that into the schedule. So mm-hmm. it's possible. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I love hearing those success stories and, you know, giving voice to that for sure. Uh, getting back to the technology aspects, what are some of the, the key factors that you look for when looking at technology? I guess in its simplest form, you know, tech, technology is obviously very powerful. You know, it, um, it enables and empowers individuals to do their jobs faster, easier, hopefully with higher quality as well. I think the key to all of this right now um, is user interface. Um, one of the great reasons for Amazon's success is they stay up all day and night figuring out how to make it easier for you to use less clicks and to be able to get a seamless experience with them. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot to learn from that in the AEC industry to make it seamless, as I mentioned earlier. So I think that it's powerful. Um, we can definitely take advantage of a lot of what we've learned, but we, we have to push back to make it easier for people to use that, something we touched on earlier. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Evolve MEP. MEP construction software for Revit. Evolve's MEP software for Revit makes project collaboration fast, simple, and more productive, which in turn significantly reduces project risk and cost. Born from the reality of a lack of available skilled labor in the industry, Evolve MEP has transformed the MEP detailer workflow. It's time for MEP to harness the Revit platform to offer seamless collaboration like no other software before it. Visit evolvemep.com and let them know we sent you. Yeah, interesting. So if we kind of broaden back out to what's been going on in 2020, how do you think COVID has has really impacted the commercial real estate game? Uh, big time. I think it's forced everyone to rethink the the um, the workplace from a design and a user experience standpoint. Mm. Wellness is more important than ever in all aspects of design. Um, How we get to work, how often we go to work, what we do when we get to work, um, it's all changed. And um, certainly the the projects, the buildings that are being developed now are going to have to take these things into consideration. The existing buildings will likely need to adapt and be retrofitted. And in some case, there'll be some adaptive reuse. Um, We see it going on right now. Um, We saw it going on through COVID, but um, this is everything from the HVAC systems, as we know, the filtration, the quality of the water, um, um, how much airspace we give to to people, um, how much amenity space we give to people, and certainly far less density than we've seen things migrating to be a very dense workplace over the last 10 years, things are going to go back in the opposite direction now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think technology's role really should be then in, in that user comfort level in the building moving forward? Want to make an investment with me? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. I'll give you one, one idea today. Um, 
we should be able to wake up. And this is all, Todd, this is reasonable. I'm not, I'm not looking to, you know, for us to go open an office on another planet. This is reasonable. It's here. Back to a lot of the things that you've asked um, today is why can't we do this? We can do this. You wake up and you have an app on your phone that tells you anything you would want to know about the place that you can go to work, mm -hmm. which is whether it's air quality, um, temperature, uh, where you can work, assuming we're all going to an agile office environment or certainly more agile, less assigned space and more of a clean desk policy to go through that. But everything you'd want to know, open space, conference rooms, what you can book, everything should be on an app, right? Even to the point if there's a waiting line in your lobby, how long the waiting line is, how long the queue is. If we can do it in Disney World <laughs> to know how long the line is, why shouldn't you be able to do it there, correct? Mm -hmm. um, and certainly right now, um, until we get through the vaccination period and until we get through probably a year after the vaccine is widely distributed, to know if there are any cases in the building, mm -hmm. something like that. But it could be parking spots in the building, whatever it is that you need to know about the building. But when you get to the building, that same app should be able to tell you about the amenities in the building and anything else you need to know. This or the food line to be able to order food right from there. It should all be able to be within one app. Ironically, this is available from a building management standpoint. So a building owner, a landlord, typically through a BAS, BIS, BMS system is able to know the functions within the building and what's going on. And there's a long way to go, but it's far more advanced than providing the user experience and user interface app that I um, described prior to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, well, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the, the, these projects create just a vast amount of data that you can use for the whole life cycle of the project. And so it's, it's really getting that data and how do you harness that and, and leverage it and then connect it to all these other sources. It's, what do you think the, the timeline really is for, for actually reaching this kind of level of, of technology connectivity and adoption? I think, I think we're just about there. I, I I've seen some, 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 um, some companies who have developed their own app. Mm -hmm. um, I've been amazed by it, how they've been able to uh, introduce this because they own the building. So they're able to provide that from a user standpoint. And I've certainly seen my share of smart buildings. It started in Europe about five years ago, traveling there and seeing smart buildings there a little bit more advanced down mm -hmm. to monitoring the sustainability of the building, the wellness of the building. Um, and I think it's here. I think it's a matter of until there is a demand for it here, it's, it may not be widely applied, but I don't think the technology has a long way to go. I think the technology is here. It's just there needs to be a demand for people to make that investment. Right. Yeah. Well, when you think of like IoT and everything that's, it's been there on small scales and, you know, maybe this year has definitely given the demand needed. You know your stuff. IoT is is critical. It is such a key part for those who don't know. IoT is Internet of Things, and our devices are giving off signals and reading that and tracking it. You do have to balance that with the big brother concerns, right? Sure. Uh, turning that on. Do you know you're being tracked? What does that mean? So it's good to know that if there is, God forbid, an emergency um, in a building that they know who's there and there's a reason for that. 
On the other hand, does someone get to know that you just went to the meditation room because you're having some some concerns or for a mother going to a birthing room or, or right. somewhere else or going to the clinic, which is a violation of, of HIPAA to know that you went to the clinic and now, you know, is that information, private information or not? So we just have to be careful that we use the data to the benefit of everyone, but that we're also very mindful of privacy issues. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more there for sure. You know, it's always... <laughs> Uh, a, a little uh, weird and disarming way. Uh, Apple, or you, you you pull up your your iPhone, and all of a sudden it's telling you, you twenty minutes to this location. I'm like, it's not even on my calendar. This is, <laughs> how does that know? <laughs> Either that, or a great story is I'm in the kitchen the other day with my my better half Joanne, and we were talking, and she orders these aluminum pans that she's going to use for Thanksgiving, and she just said, did you order aluminum pans? And Alexa came back on and said, the aluminum pans were ordered and will be in blah, blah, blah. That was creepy, Todd. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. <laughs> or, but they're not listening at all. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, what do you think one of the biggest kind of misconceptions is, uh, from your opinion, in of the construction industry? I'd probably say that I think the stigma of blue collar, white, white, white collar is, is completely unfair. Mm -hmm. um, I would say, first of all, from, I, I guess, the end of the process, when the project is actually being built and finished, every one of those tradespeople who are building that job are critical um, to how we, in the case of a house, a home, a hospital or in the case of an office. They, they are critical pieces to the success of what we all enjoy. Mm -hmm. um, and I certainly support the ongoing um, alignment of standards in the industries, whether they be by unions or other trade organizations um, and getting people trained on all this new software we're talking about, et cetera, and setting the right standards. And the fact that so many of them have been at risk through COVID is another thing that we should just call out and mention about the construction workers. Mm -hmm. They've just been incredible. I heard, I heard and then read an article recently, uh, one said four, the other said five times more likely for a construction worker to um, be afflicted with COVID than other types of workers wow. um, in the industry and for various reasons. So they've gone through some tough times that and absorbing the increased cost and the loss of profit due to COVID. Can't mm -hmm. put as many people on the site, can't get into a freight elevator or a hoist. There've been a lot of a lot of challenges, shortage of materials, contracts that didn't provide for them to charge extra for these, obviously these costs that they were hit with that were unexpected before COVID. Right. And then let's go to the top of the food chain within the design teams. There is There are just great designers and engineers out there who have adapted very, very quickly to the unknown of um, this disease and to create workplaces and new designs that are gonna allow us to be healthy in the workplace. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been great. So I think from cradle to cradle, let's say, or from start to finish within the, uh, within the cycle of the AEC process, everyone has adapted very well. That has to be balanced within the reality that there is a lot less work out there. Just that's it. 
And aside from the residential market, where obviously there's been a, a, a big increase in work um, and people are redoing their homes and moving and taking advantage of low mortgage rates and obviously now a desire to go with is maybe some more grass or more more room to uh, to to uh, walk around. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the exception to the rule. Um, unfortunately, within the commercial um, construction world, things have been far less um, abundant in terms of work. So, you know, they've been doing a great job. I could definitely see further consolidation coming down the road. I think people are going to need to adapt to a more cost-efficient model um, in order to survive through the next year, a year and a half or two years. Um, you typically see from the aspects of the, um, the real estate side of this, real estate services and being a part of one of the largest companies in the world in real estate services at Savills. We work together very closely on that. Our 600 offices globally sharing information, but we can see in different markets where um, there's going to be a shortage on construction projects in the next year or two, simply because of what's going on in the real estate development and lease side. That's why I mentioned earlier about Atlanta. Um, We see great things going on in Atlanta and the Southeast in general. Um, a lot of companies who are really looking to, uh, to bring business to that market who were in other areas prior. Mm-hmm. Atlanta's the place to be. It's a happening city. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Just got to work on the Falcons a little bit. Uh, hey, uh, sports teams are, are not our claim to fame. <laughs> we uh, we usually do well year. and then just choke right at the end. <laughs> it's, a, it's a sore subject. That's fine. <laughs> Uh, well, how do people get a hold of you and find out kind of more about what you're doing? Well, certainly I'm reachable um, at Savills. Um, uh, anytime anybody needs uh, my email address and everything, I'll, uh, you already have been glad to provide it to you. I have a team of over 200 people across North America servicing our clients, along with another 700 on the real estate services side. Um, we're looking to help anybody who is looking to either gain more knowledge or to talk about any specific project to the best we can. So we're here to share our knowledge. Um, it doesn't have to be about a transaction. If we can help anybody in any way, we'll be glad to do so. Awesome. And last question I, I asked my guests and in light of our, our conversation earlier, I'm really interested in your, your answer this time. <laughs> uh, what does innovation mean to you? Um, well, I, If you remember earlier, I had said that um, I think innovation to me is different than it is to others. It's about being different more than it's always making something new. Uh And I would just say to you that to me, innovation is in my world right now, innovation means being a better leader. Hmm. Um, And it's something that you spoke about earlier. And in thinking about that and listening to some of your other podcasts, Somehow I was drawn to a quote by um, General Schwarzkopf, who years ago uh, made a statement about leadership. And if you remember, at least from my time, he was a great leader. And just reading to you that quote, it's leadership is a potent combination of strategy and character. But if you must be without one, be without the strategy. (laughs) So I think to be innovative, it's about listening. That's my bottom line. Being innovative means listen. And if we, we listen and we learn, 
I think what's different is instead of everybody rushing to be the first one to speak, I think we can all collaborate together to make this a much better industry and probably a better world as well. So instead of necessarily, you know, let's all congratulate one another, Todd. Let's congratulate one another for, for their job, even if they're a competitor is an example of what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, love that. Uh, you know, I think that there's, there's power for sure in, in listening to, to understand my, it, what you said reminds me of a, a quote my, my mom always used to say and still does all the time is uh, he who speaks first loses. And so there's, there's power in listening to the other person before you start talking and, and just giving your opinion because you're, you're going to learn something from talking to whoever. Your mother, you're gonna... was, your mother said a very wise thing. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave. She's I'll a wise leave. lady. Exactly. And I will leave that with one thing honoring your mother. And that's the statement that in order to drive innovation, you have to value people in order to drive change. Yeah, so absolutely. Innovation is going to be you have to value people. That was my point earlier. Awesome. Well, that's a great way to, to end it. Thanks so much for, for coming on the show. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much, Todd. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. And now it's time for the Todd takes from this episode. First thought, leadership is about providing assurance through genuine honesty. Michael said, showing up isn't good enough anymore for a leader. And I could not agree more. Leaders must seek to over communicate and strive for understanding. This relates to his innovation answer as well. We all must seek to listen, to learn, and then to understand. When you let others speak first, you just might learn something important. Second thought, true collaboration may seem elusive and a mere buzzword. However, it is possible. Michael shared some great examples of collaboration done right. There are hurdles to acknowledge and band together to overcome. The first is the need for interoperability with our technologies and platforms. We've discussed this in other episodes as well. Another hurdle is the structure of most contracts do not incentivize true collaboration and everyone needs to do better. Finally, user comfort is going to become a big area of focus on the commercial construction side. The technology is there to have the single source app Michael described, but is the demand high enough to merit the investment? Time will tell. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software, at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is directed by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel, Bridging the Gap is an Applied Software production. Copyright Applied Software 2020.